Mike, great news. The US are getting a new Supreme Court judge. And she seems to be an exceptionally bright, ambitious, <laughs> warm and tolerant woman who is both excelling professionally while raising a multicultural family. Hey, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> yes, I think it's real. She, she's a very uh, amazing person. <laughs> I do not in any way think that she should be put on the Supreme Court right now. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Oh, let's go into it. <laughs> so, uh, do, you want the, do you want the history? Should we start there? Sure. So, like, we're in the middle of an election. And uh, usually, historically, going back decades and decades, when we get this close to an election, American, you know, Americans have not put a new Supreme Court justice on. And this is like consequential because this is where the uh, final say on the law gets made. And these appointments are for a lifetime. And so it's always been like, let's, let's calm things down. Let's not do this during a big, impactful election. Let's wait. Um, let's give it to the, the folks who get the new mandate, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's the way it played out most recently. So, you know, hmm. um, even the Republicans have turned down Obama's candidate. And it was even, I think, a year before the election, right? That's exactly right. So it was, I forget the exact time, like um, uh, Scalia, um, a fairly, you know, quite conservative uh, judge passed away surprisingly in the last year of Obama's um, presidency. And Mitch McConnell, who is in charge of the Senate, uh, was like, "No, we're not. We're not going to allow you to move forward with your nomination, even though you know uh, uh, Obama. We will not allow you to see it, see the justice." Mm. And you know, like maybe that's the right thing to do. Um, that's certainly the way that like people have been doing it for a long time. There was debate at the time. Um, you know, uh, what is <laughs> sort of uh, particularly galling to a lot of people right now is now. Same cast of characters, uh, so Mitch McConnell is still in control of the, of the Senate, and people like Lindsey Graham, who's a senator from South Carolina, are are still sitting on the judiciary and like heading up the judiciary committee, mm. and they are now saying, with what uh, two months left, they start you know when um, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg like passed away, they were like, no, we're gonna <laughs> like push through a nominee right now, mm. and so it's a it feels very hypocritical. Um, uh, extraordinarily hypocritical. So I think there's there's a lot going on here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're listening to the Americanist podcast. Uh, my name is Johannes Ehrmann. I'm joined as every week by the accomplished scholar and my dear friend Mike Bayoki over in Stanford, California. So j just a little bit of background for our listeners. Um, so what we're talking about, Amy Coney Barrett uh, will uh, most likely replace uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who has passed away a few weeks ago, as judge for the United States Supreme Court. And I found one uh, number that absolutely stunned me um, as I was preparing this episode a little bit. 96-3. That was the vote in 1993 to mm. confirm Ruth Bader mm. Ginsburg um, to the you Senate. You are so German. Yeah. <laughs> How do you pronounce her? <laughs> R R RBG. RBG. Yeah, RBG. To, to yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, 96-3, so across the aisles... That's Republicans, right. Democrats got together uh, and confirmed her back then, um, 27 yeah. years ago. Uh, kind of probably not how it's going to play out no. with Amy Coney Barrett. That's right. Yeah. Why not? There's a couple different things. And it depends on which American you ask <laughs> um, mm -hmm. exactly. So I think um, in practice, there's been a real change about how we see this process. So it, uh, people are starting to think of it as much more political. And... So there's two things that you will notice that are really big departures. One is you won't see that same vote 
like it used to be that we would get really high votes for the for the nominees onto the, and get them onto the Supreme Court. But now it'll probably be almost exclusively along party lines if they get to a vote hmm. um, for this. Um, and the other thing is, if you look at the the hearings, uh, the interviews, basically. So the way it works here is mm-hmm. the president gets to nominate, and then the Senate has sort of like advisory capacity for it, and I think um, take mm-hmm. take a um, <clears throat> a vote. Um, mm-hmm. And so that hearing process is very confrontational now, and you'll see two things. One is they will really push the other party will really push the president's nominee you know, to say things and get things on the record. And then now the nominees will essentially say, I don't know anything. <laughs> like I have, I have no ability to make any comment on any big potential case that I would ever hear. And so they tend to be uh, <laughs> really, really frustrating things to watch because there's a lot of dancing and a lot of, you know, theater about like trying to get to an answer that will never actually be given. Yeah. So I looked at some of the clips as well and and i thought i would i would get get something out of it um yeah. but, i mean and it was sort of we'll get to that I, I think it was more interesting what she didn't say than what she actually did say that's right so i found a quote from from senator dick durbin from illinois uh the democratic whip or whip or whip <laughs> um I don't know how do you pronounce that word whip whip oh <laughs> whip, i was whip. laughing because like we are, like in the u.s we joke about it too like there's actually depends on where you're from whip i say whip but people do say whip okay whip i like whip yeah um so the quote goes what was the purpose of this hearing if we don't know what she thinks about any issues yeah. what did you make of it I, you know like on the very surface level i get the argument that both sides nominees are using the, the argument looks something like very simple it's like do you really want me to go on the record right now hmm. giving an opinion hmm. that seems to encompass a bunch of law when in fact what i should be doing is being a little agnostic and waiting until the case that's in front of me appears hmm. uh, it, you know the the facts of the case matter the particularities matter that kind of stuff do you really want me to commit without seeing anything to where i'm heading I mean, on the surface, it makes sense. It seems to me, though, and especially one clip really stunned me, that she took this agnosticism a little bit too far, yeah. maybe at some point. Uh, yes. So Kamala Harris, uh, yes. who's running with, with Joe Biden, uh, and this clip went absolutely viral, I think, in the last days. Uh, she asked her, her three things uh, leading up. First thing, does she believe if smoking causes cancer? And she was like, yeah, of course, I believe that's deadly. Yeah, sure. Science says so. And do you believe also the coronavirus is very infectious? Uh, and she's like, yeah, I think this has been, you know, established. Yeah. And then the third one, of course, was, is climate change harmful? And she basically then went into complete, yeah, like evasive denial mode. And basically the bottom line was she thinks it's debatable. She doesn't want to answer that that question because it's a hotly debated political subject yeah it's embarrassing sometimes to be an american i mean like there's a there's a strain of corporate sponsored uh, anti-science and that's what you're seeing here is something along the lines of you know the petrol companies like hydrocarbon based stuff that's that's a uh, i mean she she's a very smart person <laughs> she likely can argue her way to the position that she has taken. But the idea that there is some sort of like block at the science level is silly. 
and it's and it's sort of an American, as far as I can tell, like American derived mm-hmm. argument that doesn't really happen mm-hmm. in a lot of other places. And it's embarrassing to see someone like that trying to make that case because scientists agree, right? Yeah. That I mean, climate change is happening, yes. and that is it has a bad effect, and it's, on, and it's on clearly that. going to have consequences. I mean, like you know, uh, at one point the argument was that like it doesn't exist, no no change in temperatures. Now that like that's untenable, like that's just not something that can be defended. They've moved to, well, it's changing, but maybe it's not humans or maybe it's changing, but the consequences aren't going to be as severe as, you know, you, you folks think. And yeah. Uh, so, so do you think now she's also been put in, on the spot a little bit here because, I mean, we are three weeks out from a very, very hotly debated election. And so she probably uh, doesn't want to in any way mingle or get meddled uh, uh, with that. But, you know, is there is there any other reason why she's, why she's doing it? Is she actually believing that? Is she also going to um, sort of rule in, 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 in these kind of terms? Yeah, I mean, like, it, 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 sometimes it's hard, hard to talk about this stuff because, like, yeah, there... There's a, there are a couple different layers going on here, and let me try mm-hmm. to not sound like a conspiracy theorist, but like to, to sort of, I mean, like for a long time, you know, in the order of decades, there has been an active push in conservative circles to build a strong court system that has mm-hmm. that is sort of deeply embedded with conservative thinking, and so mm-hmm. most people refer to this like as the Federalists, the Federalist Society. Mm-hmm. And, um, but there's several other organizations that sort of like all feed into this and it has a feeder system. So if you look at, uh, American universities, especially the top couple tiers of American universities inside of law circles, there is a grooming process where if you are a young, ambitious, thoughtful, smart lawyer, they'll pick you up and they'll start building your career towards this. And so that feeder system leads into lots of different parts of mm-hmm. our legal system. Um, so this Federalist Society stuff, like, has now, right now, is sort of, like, reaching, I think, its peak. It, it has built out and brought on board several justices. Mm. Looks like mm. um, Amy Coney, Coney Barrett is about to be another one who they're going to bring on. Mm. There's been a lot of placement of these kinds of judges into federal courts. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of, like, questions as to why this happened and what the exact goals are. Because it's not, like obvious right like you know there's some stuff about like originalism this is a philosophy that sort of espoused yeah Yeah. part of this process is in response to old judges where uh you know sort of that got appointed that maybe looked quote-unquote conservative but maybe like once they got into the legal system and started like presiding over cases didn't act in ways that you know some folks thought was were along the lines of what they wanted so this feeder system yeah i mean it helps winnow out people helps remove people who don't completely mm-hmm. align so mm-hmm. uh, just think about it as like a it's a really like good like uh smoothing process these the one by the time the federalist society gets folks ready for this we pretty much know where they're where they're going to be acting in the future and yes mm-hmm. here's the part where it sounds a little conspiratorial don't have perfect understanding i don't um but mm-hmm. uh yeah, it's funded by uh, people who have lots of financial interests in um, certain pollution or like have, you know, uh, financial benefits in denying some parts of science because it's just not good for their bottom line. So the mm-hmm. the example that people point to is like the Koch brothers, um, who's a very uh, wealthy family 
who, mm-hmm. you know, mega donations to the Republican Party, you know, probably built out mm-hmm. big chunks of the federal society and, and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's it's very conspiratory because I uh, I have seen some senators also raise yeah. these arguments. One of them was was Sheldon Whitehouse. Um, I, I watched his uh, his hearing there as well. And I, I'm not, you know, an expert into all these like different forms of legal suits there uh, in in the U.S. Um, but he made a pretty convincing argument that. There was big money, was not clear where it was coming from, which was funding a lot of sort of like small scale cases uh, that could then potentially be taken up by the Supreme Court at some point to establish a new precedent on certain very important issues. And I think what a lot of Democrats are scared of from what I read, and and please correct me, is that um, it's about abortion rights, uh, it's about same sex marriage, and it's about healthcare. And I mean, Obamacare is, you know, the Affordable Care Act. I mean, we're in the midst of a pandemic. So for me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to potentially deprive millions of Americans of their health care. Yeah. So why is this on the agenda? One, one other thing I'll toss in there, and this is a little bit harder to talk about because of like sort of the intricacies of American federalism. But there's also a real chance that uh, if Amy Coney and Coney Barrett ends up on the Supreme Court, that they strike down things like the ability of the um, Environmental Protection Agency to regulate, okay, like the ability to sort of coordinate action across states um, is really at risk here. And the ability for the federal government to try to police regulations having to do with like anti-discrimination laws, like that kind of stuff. So like voting rights for minority groups and stuff like that are at, is, at, is at risk here. In order to get to the Supreme Court, you have to go through different levels. You have to like sort of work your way through and get good cases um, that might afford the justices a chance to write law, um, interpret, you know, big law. So some of it's about timing. Um, my guess is they would have felt much more comfortable doing this like many months ago, uh, but they didn't have the kinds of counts, they didn't have the kinds of cases. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like real political suicide to me <laughs> to like strip millions of Americans mm-hmm. from having reliable access to health care mm-hmm. during a pandemic. It just is, I, I don't, yeah. But so what is the political reckoning from, from the Republican side here? I mean, why are they ramming through this, uh, this nominee now before the election? Just, just to install her. I mean, she's also fairly young for a judge, That's 47, right. I think. Yeah. So she's going to be there for, I don't know, 40 years, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. So this all uh, circles back to, like, the uh, probably one of the underlying philosophies here is it's pretty clear, and it's been clear for maybe two decades now, that some of, uh, a big chunk of conservatives realize that they're not going to be, they don't have the head count. They will politically um, their ideas are not super exciting to people like people actually do in fact really like having some level of safety net provided by the government like Obamacare or something like that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. one part of this whole sort of grooming system that I was talking about with the federal society is a recognition that in our three branches of government the conservatives mm-hmm. in the United States are probably going to be losing mm-hmm. the presidency in a fairly sustained mm-hmm. way for, you know, several, mm-hmm. you know, years. Um, mm-hmm. And they're probably going to lose a lot of control of Congress. So certainly mm-hmm. the House of Representatives is going to be very challenging for them. But, you know, even it's quite possible they will lose access to um, the Senate. Mm-hmm. And so 
installing judges that don't have to be voted on and historically have been seen as nonpartisan, but that's clearly changing right now. I don't think the conservatives like totally have a great understanding of like the, how rapidly that perception can change. The idea that the Supreme Court should have this role where it's the final arbiter, it's the final decision maker on what law mm-hmm. means and how that's sort of like spread out across the country. That's really at risk here. I mean, I think like mm-hmm. you're having, you know, there are really serious conversations about why are these nine people who don't get voted on so powerful and why are they mm. elected or why are they put there for life and why isn't it like a mm. you know some sort of terms right so mm-hmm. there's a real there's a real potential that we are close to a a change i think they're doing it right now the the republican party is pushing really hard because they're pretty they're pretty certain they're about to lose big um so all the polling looks like they're going to lose mm-hmm. the presidency they're probably going to lose control of the senate but so then at least from their standpoint, they have one of the three branches. That's right. And one that's locked in, like like you just pointed out, for many decades, right? Like if you have mm. a number of conservative judges and they get to stay for the rest of their life, they could be there for 30, 40 years. Is she, on this current Supreme Court, is she going to be the most conservative one of these nine? The idea of conservative inside of legal thinking is slightly different than mm-hmm. conservative thinking in terms of like, if you were to think about a Republican versus a Democrat kind of thing. So mm-hmm. yes, uh, there's a belief that she's probably fairly similar to Scalia, who was a, a very conservative judge, but like, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to say like, is um, Clarence Thomas. Because she didn't say, she also didn't say, right? Yeah. And yes. Kind of evaded <laughs> both of these topics, yeah. <laughs> which is which is a fair point, I think, which is also something uh, that RBG actually uh, really introduced also um, to try and be impartial uh, once she got you know confirmed yeah but let's let's talk maybe talk about this this originalism uh, yeah. just for a little bit and I found this this interesting quote from Amy Coney Barrett so for her she explained originalism means quote that I interpret the Constitution as a law I understand it to have the meaning that it had at the time people ratified it that meaning doesn't change over time, and it is not up to me to update it or infuse my policy views into it. Well, the Constitution is from the late 18th century. <laughs> it was written by a bunch of middle-aged white guys, mm-hmm. part of them slaveholders, yep. who also were trying to reconcile that some of the states were still slaveholding states at the time. Yep. How could that meaning possibly not have changed in the last 250 years. Sure. And also, just to be clear, like had no notion that women might have any role or like in, in power and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I don't I don't know. <laughs> like it, it, it seems like a very crazy idea that one would look at a document that is as powerful as that um, and think mm-hmm. of it as completely static. So I think if I'm going to treat it like intellectually, honestly, I think that something like, well, if you believe that something is wrong in the constitution, we have the ability to update it. And so, and then that becomes, mm-hmm. you know, the correct interpretation is then so implicitly, uh, you know, or quite explicitly, we had slavery when the country started and then we, you know, mm. put in an amendment and there was no longer that version of slavery. Mm. I mean, you, you fought a civil war over that question. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so I think probably their interpretation is we have a means for modifying it. And if you believe that the Constitution is incorrect, then you should modify it. 
um, mm. and that will be the 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 new interpretation of it. Mm. It's a little silly, yeah. <laughs> it's a little silly. I mean, like how how um, so give you an example is it just seems absurd to me on the face that there was there was even a way to read the Constitution to understand how the framers intended the governing of the internet. Mm -hmm. That that just seems very silly to me. That's that's an <laughs> yeah. adorable like I, I don't even know how one could, could, could yeah. or or even let's 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 go let's go a little bit different. So like how would the framers um, have thought about something like an AR fifteen, a very powerful, essentially military grade weapon. Um, and, and it's used. I don't think they had the frame for that. And I, I think it's, it's silly to pretend otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the notion of democracy was a very, very different notion. I yeah. mean, you already hinted at the fact that, that women were no part of the, of the political process back then. They yeah. weren't allowed to vote. Um, yeah. So were actually a lot of men. That's right. So if you were not, um, I think if you were not, you know, a taxpayer or even a property owner, of course, all the slaves were not allowed to uh, to vote. Uh, all the indentured servants um, were not allowed to vote at the time, uh, which was a lot of uh, a large number of, of immigrants, new immigrants at the time, uh, that went into this indentured servitude, right? Yeah, that's um, right. For 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 some years. So obviously, like the political process was only open for a small fraction of of the population back then. Yeah. So is this the hidden agenda? I mean, do they actually want to restrict access to the political process? again, to a smaller portion of the people or what's going on here? Um, maybe. <laughs> that seems like a fairly brutal like uh, stance mm -hmm. for them to like try to go all the way back. I think what's actually happening is <laughs> I almost want to make like a religious, you know, like sort of move here. They want to say that there was this original text that was given to us in an infallible way. And I, as a you know deeply learned person, have access to that direct knowledge. Mm -hmm. You folks don't necessarily. You may have like a flawed interpretation of this, and so we're going to help sort of correct that through our careful thinking about and our sort of study of the original thinkers who gave us this you know powerful document. That just seems again it's absurd to me. I took I took like uh, literature classes. <laughs> like I know I know how many interpretations are there. Yeah. So basically the the Supreme Court judges as sort of like the bishops or the priests yeah. of the constitution and the constitution is their bible. Yeah, I mean that's not that a, the analogy. That's the analogy I'm going for there. Yeah. And it, and that was not obvious like uh, originally like in the constitution itself. Um it sort of was read mm. in later on by the um by the Supreme Court itself to say mm. Mm. Our power as the Supreme Court is to understand the compatibility of laws with, mm. you know, other laws with the Constitution. And we can sort of modify and have power through that interpretation mm. of the compatibility mm. or uh, incompatibility of, mm. of, of these mm. laws. One of the few things that she revealed in this, in this slightly bizarre hearing uh, that went over a few days was when um, the African-American Senator Cory Booker from, mm. from New Jersey questioned her. Um, he basically at least got the piece of information out of her that she had not really looked into or studied too much the, the racial bias of the U.S. criminal yeah. justice system, right? And, and it's yeah. sort of fairly established that, you know, black Americans uh, have a far higher rate of incarceration, yeah. of arrests. Unquestionably, yeah. Of prison time, right? And she basically said... I uh, haven't really read about it. Uh, we talked about it sometimes on campus. That's kind of what she said. Yeah. Pretty big blind spot there, right? Dude, how terrifying would it be to to be someone 
who you know that the system has historically just been set up against you. And then to hear one of the people who will be interpreting or enforcing that system be like, hey, I, I'm not super interested in that topic. Mm. I just haven't devoted any. I, even though you were about to give me a ton of power over this system, I don't actually care about some of the unintended consequences of it. Not enough to read. And she has two adopted kids from Haiti. She should care, no? I, yeah. You know, if you think about someone gets pulled over in a traffic stop, right? Mm-hmm. That moment there, nobody cares about what your family is, what kind of power you have. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there are a series of decisions that are going on in very short periods of time. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're a black male in the United States, like you face an extraordinarily different situation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what kind of power, doesn't matter like what kind of wealth you have. Like there is a very real mm-hmm. <laughs> systemic risk if you are a, particularly a young black man. And then that's perpetuated throughout like other parts of the system as well. And so to have someone who wants for the rest of her life to have power over so many Americans mm. to essentially say, I don't care. Mm. I have, that is something that doesn't bother me enough to read about. It's just horrifying. Mm. I mean, it just, it makes me sad and embarrassed mm. for mm. Uh, where we're at. One other thing that she did not acknowledge or did not want to acknowledge at this point that the constitution actually calls for a peaceful transfer of power after per- after the president gets voted out of office. Of course, yeah. this is also, or has been made, one should say, a very, very hot political topic just because the sitting president currently is just refusing to acknowledge this as well. Yeah. Um, and by refusing this answer, she has basically sided with him. Yeah. I, I think I'm really glad you brought this up because one of, I think a very strong critique in this moment is why on earth would you accept this appointment? Mm. Who's the kind of person who would say mm. there's a president right now who is denying who's who at his, at his rallies right now, president, president Trump is saying that he's calling for locking up his political opponent. So Biden, he wants to lock up the children of mm. uh, uh, vice president Biden and he wants to lock up his former political opponent. So Amy Coney Barrett, uh, is going to spend the rest of her life as a Trump appointee on the Supreme Court mm. in a deeply uh, hypocritical move of the Republicans, mm. right? Like sort of set, you know, like we're not going to let Obama do this, but we're going to ram this through really quickly under Trump. That doesn't inspire confidence in me for her. Like uh, this is the person who is supposed to be impartial adjudicator of this kind of stuff. So no, let me let me bring it back to what you just said. It doesn't surprise me that she will bow to his belief that there shouldn't necessarily be a peaceful transfer of power. That is deeply insane. But the reason she's doing it is because she, this is the job that she wants. This is the job that she's been training for a long time. Hmm. I mean, it's basically taken for granted that she will be confirmed. Yes, the Republicans have the majority, and they have they have no scruples to to not let her right. let her go through. There's essentially no way to block it. They're violating tons of norms to do this. So, yeah. so let me invoke my friend George the Third from Hamilton. What comes next? <laughs> what what should what I mean? What's what's happening then? Because I mean, Democrats are talking about stacking up the courts. So that is yeah. basically let's let's beat them with their own weapons, kind of thing. You know, yeah. where they have dragged this institution into the mud. You know, we're just going to fight back. Is this sort of where is this going to end? So, 
one of the things that conservatives have been really good at and just beating us bleeding heart liberals over and over again with is like branding. So um, I'm going to take what you just said and, and talk about it the way that I would mm -hmm. prefer to talk about it, which is there's a role that the Supreme Court plays. They are meant to when conflict arises from our from our, or ambiguity arises, they're supposed to help mm -hmm. us get through this. Right. Right now, what the Republicans, the conservatives are doing is basically destroying that credibility, right? So at this moment, if they are to slam in another Supreme Court justice under a deeply hypocritical like process, I don't know if people will look at the Supreme Court in the honored role that it has had traditionally. And if you look at the way that um, we didn't really talk about this a lot, but like Mitch McConnell blocked Obama's ability to appoint even just like federal judges. Mm -hmm. So not the Supreme Court, but the sort of next layer of judges and, and save those judges for Trump to appoint. There's a major credibility crisis under those mm -hmm. circumstances. So what I would say is like, yeah, the, the liberals, the Democrats, the progressives are thinking about um, rebalancing. So the idea being that to allow a court system that can overturn any sort of action that's like the democratically elected governments like so imagine that uh there's a blue wave so a number of senators come in who are democrats so the house stays firmly in control of the democrats and the president is um biden if we don't do anything if we just allow things to move forward the supreme court has the ability to stop essentially everything so any sort of progressive mm -hmm. agenda um, mm -hmm. legislation that comes through mm -hmm. they can say no and just stop it again like it, it seems very bizarre to americanize to have people who are not elected mm -hmm. have that much power and have mm -hmm. so few so yeah there's real discussions now about modifying how the court how the court functions so bringing in more justices setting limits you know so making it 18 years or something like that so you're appointed mm -hmm. for 18 years and that way we can anticipate when judges mm -hmm. are going to enter mm -hmm. and exit is, is that possible under the constitution do they need two-thirds majority yeah. or something like that or is it no so my you know so i guess i should i should be cautious so let me let so i don't know all the intricacies here but no my understanding is it would not take um any modification of the constitution so we have historically moved between there's no there's no statement of how many justices mm -hmm. there should be mm -hmm. in the constitution and we have at different points in american history had different numbers of justices i forget the exact range i think it was like maybe as high as like 13 mm -hmm. and as low as like seven or something like that but it, it has moved around so yeah it's not hard to do mm -hmm. uh, in terms of if you have the power to do it it has it would have been a norms mm -hmm. violation Right. So what I mean by that is like there's no laws mm -hmm. against it, but everybody had mm -hmm. sort of agreed that we're going to have a stable mm -hmm. nine. And when someone you know leaves, we will then appoint someone in relatively short order. To that. But now that norms are getting violated, yeah, it seems like maybe you know what should happen is we need to make more explicit laws. And a practical example of that uh, now that the Democrats are facing like a three to six minority would be to nominate four liberal judges and then four would be a nice number <laughs> i think like the current conversation no, because like, you were talking about because you were talking about a total number up to 13 yeah. and currently it's nine yeah I, th i think right yeah so um the talks that are happening now in sort of parts of the media isn't something like two justices 
you know, uh, you you want obviously you want like an uh, an odd number of total justices, and you know, so bringing in two uh, new justices and the other reform mm -hmm. um, that seems particularly attractive maybe to me, but you know, other folks is to then set a very regular clock, so. Mm -hmm. setting it up such that if we have uh, 11 justices you know every two years there's a new you know like someone's exiting and mm -hmm. we're bringing in some new people mm -hmm. and that might that would make a lot of sense because then you could anticipate the consequences of electing mm -hmm. for president a certain you know person mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so now it's like totally random like we were basically yeah. thrown into a panic because of the uh because of rbj you know, rbg's like unanticipated death right like there's no reason <laughs> that someone passing away should make people terrified in the way it has. Yeah. So to wrap this up, um, sure. some positivity talk. <laughs> positivity. Polls still looking good for the Democrats? Oh, they're looking. Uh, so I, oh, I don't want to say this, but I want to say it. it looks super good. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, o like, almost too good to believe, <laughs> too good to be true. <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's believable. I mean, like, the mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I'm a statistician. Yeah, you're I the stats man. That's why I'm asking right? you. Yeah. You're, you're I, basically, I, you're, you're my own private 538 here. So please. <laughs> uh, every battleground state, except for, I think, one, um, are sort of like leaning blue mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm quite hopeful at the moment. I think, like, not only is it like, what, might we remove... Donald Trump, but it's also looking like, well, you know, the, the Democrats will probably take the Senate as well. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I mean that they'll probably take the Senate is my guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the election is only two weeks away. Two um, weeks. And oh uh, we will dedicate the next two episodes, I think, uh, to the build up to the election and then think about maybe some, some sort of election special as well. Um, yeah. Pending the results and when they come in i'm a i don't know about you i don't take the week off man i am i have cleared my schedule i am going to be just 100 yeah i'm not sure about the whole week but i've i've taken the the day after off for sure oh have you we really can, we can yeah yeah so we can uh, we can definitely do a special then on the wednesday oh that's great um and then we have a regular episode uh, earlier that week um right. where we can preview sort of the the exit polls like last minute polls and 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 you know what's happening maybe maybe gamble a bit put some money on on some that's yeah some races no i think like that monday like two weeks from today is gonna be i can't even are imagine you, what are you state already I'm gonna, gonna be, be are you already gonna be drunk i'm gonna i mean am i am i not drunk right now <laughs> that's that's too much sober for me man yeah. <sighs> I, yeah, I just can't even imagine what headspace i'm gonna be in on that monday <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. Man, yeah. it was great talking to you once again. Yeah, it's good to talk with you. Very, man. very interesting talk about the Supreme Court and its new judge. And yeah, thanks a lot for listening. That was The Americanist. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing you again next week. Mm -hmm.